Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 15 of the podcast for Saturday the 22nd of April 2023. This is a special one-off edition called Five Lists of Five Things Related to Writing. So coming up today, I'm going to have five things which didn't move the needle in my writing career, five things which did move the needle in my writing career, five things which I don't intend to do in my writing career, five things I'd like to do in my writing career but haven't done yet, and five things I ought to do but don't do and therefore self-sabotage my career. And I'm hoping that over the course of these lists of five, you might pick up some useful tips, hints, suggestions for your own writing career. Now, before I start, what I should say is that I reserve the right to change my mind about everything here. So if I say something to you that I'm not doing that I should be doing or something that I don't intend to do, I completely reserve the right to change my mind in the future if the information available to me changes. But this is just where I am right now recording this episode in April 2023 and I'll share my thoughts with you as we go along. Let's then start with five things which didn't move the needle in my writing career and possibly I've told you a couple of these before just in passing but I actually dug out some numbers some prices to give you just to let you know how much money was wasted and it will just give you an indication as to what I spent at the time number one then on the list of things that didn't move the needle in my writing career in 2015 at the London Book Fair I paid to get the secret bunker displayed on a shelf in some kind of display and that cost me 144 pounds in 2015 with a 36 pound discount I can't remember what the discount was or why I got it but it was 144 pounds out of my pocket and that was the I think I was the only year might have gone I might have gone again actually but it was certainly the first year I went to the London Book Fair and traveled down with all the associated expense that comes with that and I, I didn't particularly enjoy the London Book Fair that year now remember you know this is what eight years ago now so you didn't have as much of a presence of independent authors at that time and it actually I'm just thinking you know it may have been I'm just trying to think whether that visit to the London Book Fair maybe the Alliance of Independent Authors might have had an event before that in, it was in some bookstore in London. My memories are fading of these events, but I, I'm pretty sure that, that maybe the two things were associated with each other. And the Alliance of Independent Authors event was brilliant. Um, if it, I don't know whether it was that year. It must have been about that time. Uh, and I wish they'd do it again. And the London Book Fair for me at that time wasn't very good, but I'm sure it's much, much better uh, these days because obviously Indies have a much bigger presence. There's so much more going on. But yeah, it was 100 and £144. And all that happened, I, I went and searched my book out. I found the stand at the London Bookstore. And all it was, I mean, it was completely pointless. It was just a big uh, metal bookcase in a, what do they call them? You know, these kind of cubicles that they have at, at um, you know, exhibiting events. And my book was just on there. It wasn't even face outwards. It was just on the shelf. That was it. Now, if you think of all the displays of all the books to look at at the London Book Fair, mine was just stuck in a shelf there and it cost me £144. Let me tell you, that was not a good value for money. Now, at the time, because it was the first book I'd published, it must have been The Secret Bunker 1. I frankly would have done anything 
to kind of find a way to sell it to market, you know, to hope that somebody might discover it. I don't know what I expected I was going to get for my £144, but that was really not money well spent. So don't do it, is what I'm saying to you. know, Be very sure you're going to get some kind of prominence uh, if that's something that you pay for. Something else that I did in 2015, and you'll note that this is 2015, I was, I think I must have been writing my first books in 2014, must have got the Secret Bunker series published over 2015, 2016. So these were really the very first days when I knew absolutely nothing about about writing, self-publishing. I was literally just fumbling my way in the dark, trying to work out what you did in this career. So in that year, I also spent some money £187.35 on a pile of bookmarks um, and some posters. That was 2015. And I also spent another £349.99 plus a £28 delivery on a banner, big secret bunker banner. Now, let me talk to you about the bookmarks and the posters first. I had these designed by a local designer. Local designer's great. I know her personally. She runs a great little design business. And so I'd, I'd met her at one of the local networking events, was very keen to give her the business. So she did these great designs for me. And I used another lady that I'd met at a networking event, another local lady who uh, was uh, ran a, a print company. And I used her several times uh, very happily. It was a great service and nothing wrong with the service at all, uh, the design service or the production service. Uh, everything came beautifully packed. The prices were all perfectly uh, competitive and reasonable. And the products that I received were absolutely great. So it was not about the, the quality of any of the products here. It was absolutely about, well, should I have spent my money on those items? So I ended up with a load of bookmarks and a load of posters. Now, the posters I think I, I gave to the secret bunker. I haven't been there for several years now, but uh, they might still be up for all I know. They had posters for my books all around the secret bunker. So, I, you know, I guess they, they weren't wasted. It gave me something promotional for the, the real life secret bunker to use. And I probably left them with a pile of bookmarks too, which no doubt they put in the books that they sell in the shop. So I'm saying that it, it didn't move the needle. It wasn't a complete waste of time. Now, now I think about that. And as I'm speaking aloud, I'm thinking, yeah, well, I suppose they did get used. They got used by the real life secret bunker and they were selling the physical books in the books. And they still sell the physical books in the bookstore. And so that actually has been well worth it for me. But but would I have sold those books in the bookstore without those items? The answer is, is yes, probably I would. So that wasn't it didn't move the needle, but it wasn't a complete waste of time. And the cost of it was not was not huge you know, to get that design done and then to get those items produced. But would I do it again? No, I probably wouldn't. Now, if I was appearing at book fairs, if somebody asked me to speak at a crime festival, something like that, I would clearly have to think about that again to have something physical that you could lay out. But at the early stage of my career, when I just had nothing, it really wasn't money well spent. And that money could have probably been spent on much better things. Now, this will make you laugh. I'm sure I've told you this before. This banner I got. Now, you'll, you'll know that I, if you listen to this podcast, you'll know that I often don't read the small print as carefully as I should. And I didn't read the small print when I got this banner because I had some banners designed previously. They were just they were just what I wanted. I don't know how wide they are. They must be, I don't know, half a meter wide 
and, and then they're about six foot high and you can just carry these things in your hand. They're very, very, very portable. I got one done in the early stages of my internet marketing business. It was a Pultique marketing, I think I was called in those days. And as I used to go around doing talks and courses locally, I just used to pull this thing up and it was just a bit of branding and it was fine. I was very happy with it, but I don't know what possessed me with this, but I didn't read the small print and I just assumed, you know, that it was going to be okay for size. And this thing got delivered. It was huge. It was two meters wide. Now, as I said to you, that what I was really after was something that must have been about half a meter wide when I think of the size of this thing, just a normal pull up. This thing was two meters wide. It arrived in a huge heavy box and I remember having to shout one of the kids to help me get it into the hallway it was so big and heavy and I thought oh my goodness what have I done I unpacked this thing and we had quite a big uh, car at the time we had a car that was kind of capable of, of carrying three adult children which is what we had then back then in those days it's what I had to transport and you could remove the back seats in this car uh, so that you had a huge kind of storage space at the back and when I drove up with this huge stand to the real life secret bunker for a, an event I was doing there or some kind of appearance I was doing up there, I actually, it was so big, I had to put it diagonally and put the front passenger seat down to fit the thing in. It was huge. And you know when you, <laughs> you, know when you get something and you realize your mistake as soon as you've got it now, this is not something you can send back because it was a bespoke design. I got the same local designer to do the design of it. It was a bespoke design. You can't send it back and say, I'm sorry, I didn't read the small print. I don't want this anymore. So this blasted banner was massive. I thought, I, I can't even store this thing, you know, let alone use it. It's so big. So in the end, I was so, I was so pleased that the real life secret bunker is, a, is kind of like a huge establishment. It's the size of a football pitch over two stories. So I was so pleased when I went there and put this thing up and the owners agreed that they would they would take it for publicity purposes because they've got kind of loads of storage space there. So I kind of bought it, used it once and managed to get rid of it. But it was massive. So, I mean, that was really my fault, but I, I shouldn't I shouldn't have, have even thought about that. If I'd have got anything, it should have just been one of these pull up things, which I think cost about thirty five probably about 50 pounds these days instead I spent 350 quid plus 28 quid delivery I mean no wonder it was 28 quid delivery I don't know what possessed me to order this thing and to think that it was going to be a reasonable so I just don't know what I was thinking I must have had kind of a mind shape or something when I ordered it anyhow that was something else that didn't move the needle at all in my author career and funnily enough I mean obviously you know all this stuff kind of comes back to my secret bunker books because that was those were the first books and I was completely clueless even more clueless than I am then or now I should say I was more clueless then I mean I really I was really just taking shots in the dark in those days and I hadn't really got fully embroiled with the Alliance of Independent Authors then I don't know whether even Joanna Penn was probably just on my radar then uh, I was just trying to figure it out in those days 
But one of the things that happened as a consequence of me going up to the real life synchro bunker, and what I've got to say, you know, actually what I must observe is how much the real life secret bunker did actually move the needle on my career because by them buying books in bulk and selling them in the shops and with the lovely support they've given me I mean for eight years now every every year I get orders of paperbacks from the secret bunker they continue to sell them I think I think I'm sure I was told that it's their their best-selling book in the shop which is which is amazing they continue to support me uh, selling the book and that's amazing but so many of these experiences you know, are connected with kind of what I did there and then. And one of the things that happened when I went up there, we went up for a day and we had um, the press were there, the local press were there. Uh, they sent a local TV journalist over as well. And uh, we took loads of photos as well there. So it was a really, really good day up at this real life secret bunker. But the TV came and TV did a report. Now you'll hear a lot of people saying, well, I want to get on TV. You know, if I get on TV, that's going to make my career. And all I wanted to say to you was it was brilliant. Uh, I'll share the, the video if you haven't seen this already. I'll share the video that was made. It's a bit embarrassing on my part, but the report was great. I'll share the video that was made on that occasion. You can see me in my younger days, eight years ago. But um, the, the the report was great on the telly. I'm not knocking that for one minute. The reporter was great. She did a brilliant report. I mean, this poor reporter, talk about being up against it. She came to interview me. She recorded the the package, as we call them in, in radio and TV, the, the package, edited it for the telly, and then had to present the news that night. So talk about a busy day for this this poor lady who had to do all that. So the, re the report was great, and it gave me a brilliant resource to put on my YouTube page and on my, on my website. But did it move the needle? No, it didn't. It didn't at all. I mean, I had, I had press coverage there. Uh, I had TV coverage. It was brilliant coverage. I'm not knocking that for one moment. But in terms of your expectations, in terms of did it move the needle? No, you know, I wasn't inundated with offers from agents saying we must represent you and your book. If I did sell some books, it was so negligible that I couldn't tell it on my statistics. So it didn't move the needle. So again, this is about expectation setting. You know, if the if the local telly come along and say, can they do a report on you? Yeah, absolutely. Of course they should. <laughs> you know, it's never going to hurt, is it? And, and everything helps to build your profile. If nothing else, it gives you a free uh, video that somebody else has produced that you can put on your website and you can use as part of your marketing. Uh, but does it move the, the needle? No, it doesn't move the needle. The bookmarks didn't move the needle. The banners didn't move the needle. You know, the book on the shelf didn't move the needle. But I would still say that the bookmarks and the posters and the TV report were all all worthwhile there was uh, no no problem with them but they didn't change anything and at that stage in my writing career I mean if you think of the things I've told you in the first couple of things uh, what was it 349 pounds 144 pounds what's that that's uh, that's 500 pounds you're looking at 700 pounds there 700 pounds of expenditure that I've just told you about there was that money well spent no, absolutely not. It wasn't money well spent at that stage in my author career. Now, if you've got the book sales pouring in and you've got loads of cash in the business, absolutely fine. Do as you please. But as as a new author trying to get things going, they didn't move the needle. And so what I'm hoping that you could learn from that is that that's probably not the best way to spend your cash in the early days. So that TV report was great. Didn't bring any sales in. Not that I could detect anyway. Number four on this list, then, is building individual websites for each book. So, again, these were the early days. This was 2015. Because I could build websites easily, I knew how to do it. I could work with WordPress, registering domain names and knocking these things out wasn't a problem for me. 
then then I was able to do that fairly easily. So I had a secret bunker domain name and website. I had a grid. I had a separate website for the grid. And then I, I'm just trying to think what happened after that. Then then I probably realized that that was a bad mistake. So I put all this content on the secret bunker website and then done a similar thing on the grid website. And I'm sure that all this content would have been great had my book sold in any quantity, but in actual fact, it, it turned out to be wasted effort. Now, it, this is very interesting in that I, I don't know what year this was, but it must have been about 2015, 16, maybe. I attended one of Joanna Penn's in-person sessions in London, and uh, which was a really good event. And I remember being quite offended, <laughs> unnecessarily so I hasten to add, but I, I'd let her look at my author websites as part of what she was doing. And she she berated me for sort of having multiple websites. She said, basically, it wasn't a good idea having all these websites. And I sort of felt quite put out at the time. Thinking, I thought you were going to compliment my lovely websites. And she didn't. But in actual fact, what she said to me at that event was absolutely right. She was basically saying, don't set up a website for every author name for every book that you've got. And she was absolutely right about that because uh, a couple of years after, maybe even a year or so afterwards, I realized that for myself, that I was paying for all these domain names. I was having to keep all these websites up to date. And in actual fact, it was just better all being in one website. So so now I have paulteague.net and you can access my thrillers. You could access my sci-fi you can access my non-fiction through that one-stop author website and I just have one lot of work to do now what I would say to you in my defense is that I moved a load of the content that I produced on those separate websites I moved them over to my author websites so if you go and have a look at paulteague.net and you click on the menus you'll see that the galleries that I produced for the secret bunker site and some of the content that I had available on that. So I've just moved it over. So I did manage to migrate it. So I think probably the learning point there was, is, um, you know, don't set up a separate website for each book. Just one author website, one portal is a better use of your time and your resources. Now, I was lucky it just took my time up, really, because I was able to make my own websites. If you don't know how to make websites and you're paying someone to do it, well, then that would have been a very unnecessary expense for me at that time. It would have been more expense. So I suppose the one saving grace is that I didn't have to pay for it. It was just my time. But uh, yeah, just had the one website for your author business. I think that's really the learning point from that. And then point five in things that didn't move the needle in my writing career is, is social media, just being on social media. Now, I should just add a little side point here, which I'll go on to later, is that social media ads did move the needle, but social media itself didn't move the needle. Funnily enough, Twitter, social media and Twitter did move the needle with my podcast. I, I would say that Twitter, just Twitter, is responsible for me getting the podcast established in the early days for finding listeners, but particularly for finding guests. And what I found, what I would say with the podcast in the early days, because I used to just do, it started as guest interviews originally, that I, it was, it was a brilliant resource for that, in that I found fellow indie authors. I found indie authors who were doing better than me. I learned from those authors. I made connections with those authors and it enabled me to make some pretty good connections within this industry. So social media helped me very much as a podcaster. 
It, it really did. But as an author, it didn't. Now, I think social media would be useful for me as a non-fiction author. I don't really sweat my non-fiction. I, I, I kind of, I'm not really, really sure why I do my non-fiction, really, but I, I do. I've got non-fiction out there, but I don't really sweat it or push it. I'm happy that it, it sells of its own accord. My podcast book, my digital product books, uh, but they both sell very well. My writer books don't really sell very well. But then that's probably in proportion to the confidence I have flogging them because I don't really want to set myself up uh, as a as a, a voice of wisdom in the in the writing industry. Uh, lack of confidence on my part, probably uh, for me pushing those those author books. Uh, yeah, I do have more confidence with the podcasting one and the digital products uh, one. So they they sell better, but they sell of their own accord, really. But in terms of me selling my fiction, has social media been any use? Absolutely none. Uh, I cannot attribute any single book sale to just being on social media. And this is free social media, by the way. You know, I, am, I am making a distinction here between social media ads, which very much do work, and just being on social media, which very much hasn't worked for me. Now, if I had a, a bigger audience, then I'm sure it might work. I can tell you that having a Facebook page, a Facebook author page in a small way, uh, is very useful. I, I like that because when I post, I get comments from readers. It has attracted uh, dedicated readers uh, who do comment on things, but it's only very, very small. And a lot of this, I think, is a consequence of just being a kind of midweight, mediocre reader, uh, writer, I beg your pardon, with not a huge audience. I think that these things, I think being on social media would very much benefit you if you were a bigger writer with a bigger audience. But I'm not. And what I'm really saying in this section is these things didn't move the needle i'm not saying they're useless or pointless or a waste of time i'm simply saying that in terms of where you put your focus i would not say that they are priorities you get your expectations right with these things i don't think they're going to move things fast for you that is my list of five things which didn't move the needle let's move swiftly on to things which did move the needle and these are the these are the things I, from my experience, I would recommend that you look at over those other things that I did that didn't work because these things really did move the needle. In terms of me being able to look at my years of writing, my eight years of writing and say, well, what made a change here? What really made a change? Th th these things definitely made a change. The other thing I should add, by the way, to five things which didn't move the needle in my writing career, I should add a sixth to that now I think about it, and that is rapid release. Rapid release didn't move the needle in my writing career either. Well, it did. It moved it only in terms of it made me focus, and I wrote a lot of books over a concentrated period of time. So it gave me a great back catalogue and really made me focus on the writing. So of itself, it wasn't a waste of time. The the exercise of of writing and releasing rapidly, but did it move the needle on my career? No, it didn't. And I'm hearing much less about rapid release. Now, I think people generally accept that probably uh, it's come and gone as a concept now. I think, I, I think I'm right in saying that. That's what I generally hear on podcasts now. Let's then move on to the five things that did move the needle on my writing career. And top of that list is Facebook ads. Uh, Facebook ads helped me have a, whatever it was, £16,000 month. It was, it was more than that, but 16000 is the round number I, I can remember. I couldn't have done that without Facebook ads. 
things are much more normalized now in terms of my author income, but I still make the bulk of my author income from Facebook ads. They are what works for me. They're less complex than Amazon ads for me to deal with. Uh, I get a much stronger correlation between me publishing an advert and me making sales. I like Facebook ads. I get on well with them. I find them Easy is not the word, but straightforward compared with Amazon ads. It's straightforward to get results on Facebook. And they are single-handedly responsible for me. When I had my large income time over COVID, they are single-handedly responsible for that. That was absolutely Facebook ads that did that. So I'm not talking about boosting posts. Uh, Interestingly, when I've worked with local businesses, Boosting posts actually does work. I have recommended it to local businesses in certain circumstances, usually where a local business has an event on and they want to target a very localized audience. That can work very well, but it doesn't work for for authors. You need to do the, the proper kind of commercial Facebook ads for those to work. And again, the technique that I use on Facebook ads is still pretty well much what I learned from Mark Dawson. Oh, how many years ago now? Four or five years ago? Pretty well the same principles. A few things have changed, but everything I learned in Mark Dawson's training, that's what I use in Facebook ads, plus extra bits that I learned as, as, I, as I've gone along. But the core of what I do on Facebook is what I learned from Mark Dawson's training. So that was a purchase. I think it cost me 500 and something pounds back then. That was a purchase that was well worth it for me. It was pivotal in my writing career. The other thing that moved the needle, and actually this moved the needle for me, I think it's fair to say before Facebook ads did. So the first time I had a 5,000 pound, was it month? $5,000 or 5,000 pound month. It was certainly a decent month where you'd have said, well, I'd have a bit of that. That was BookBub featured deals. My first BookBub featured deal is what delivered that first £5,000 dollar, whatever it was, month, and then gave me subsequently a couple of great months after that. I had never earned anything near that as an author, and a BookBub feature deal was responsible for it. Now, I think, and I'm not sure, trying to remember whether that was Secret Bunker or whether that was Thrillers that did that. And of course, it would have been some years ago now, so you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, BookBub deals aren't as good as they used to be. Well, I certainly haven't had, I don't think I've ever had a BookBub deal that was as good as that first one. But I still would recommend BookBub featured deals to you. There's nothing that moves the needle quite like them. And more recently, a BookBub wide deal, well, twice actually now, because they've given me two deals with this, my, my Sci-Fi 7-pack, it's the thing that's probably sold the most in one sitting, of my sci-fi as well and got it the highest up in the chart. So I have a lot of time for featured deals on BookBub. I I don't think they're as as powerful as they were, but they are still extremely powerful and I don't know anything like it. There's no paid email service that I know that will do as well as a BookBub deal does. And I've had experience and success now with giving away free books and giving away paid books at 99 pence or cents now the free books are not standalones i would never give a i'd never pay to give a standalone away on bookbub it has to be part of a series or a trilogy for a free book to work on bookbub there has to be somewhere for people to go 
to make you money. You can't just give a free book away and hope that they'll somehow migrate to your other books. It has to be part of a series or a trilogy. So I, I just need to make that uh, very clear. But yeah, BookBub still works. I still relentlessly, as you know, if you listen to the author diaries, relentlessly apply for BookBub deals. I'm in a dead zone. I'm in a drought zone with BookBub at the moment, but I keep going because I know the impact that a BookBub deal can have on my sales. Third on this list then of things which move the needle is going into KDP Select. So for a long while, I think when I started publishing, I was wide. I think I was probably wide with my thrillers when I started. I can't remember what made me go to KDP Select, but KDP Select is what helped me to make really good money and I can't remember off the top of my head I think we're up I think we're about 25 million page reads something like that now while I'm while I'm talking to you I'll try and click and get the the number as I'm recording this but my my page reads are something like 25 million now all time let me just have a quick look hang on I'm clicking here uh yeah we're just we're, we're coming up to 25 million page reads all time on Amazon now uh, and, and you think that you get paid a fraction of a penny for each of those page reads page reads are now or since i've been using kdp select kdp select is responsible for 50 percent of my income probably slightly over 50 percent of my income so i can't knock kdp select now has it worked in all cases no it doesn't it hasn't worked as well with my sci-fi definitely not with my non-fiction which is why i put my science fiction and my non-fiction wide but it's absolutely moved the needle on my thrillers being in KDP Select, so much so that I didn't come out of it. But it's 50% of your income. How can I possibly at the moment pivot to going wide? Even though I know that wide is the right decision to make for longevity in the long term, I cannot wean myself off KDP Select at the moment because those page reads are far too important to me at the moment. So yeah, we'll reach 25 million at some point this year. Let me have a look. If I were a guessing man, in two months probably so may june we'll probably hit 25 million page reads in about june by june i'm guessing uh, just knowing how the numbers are at the moment and, and that you know really as a as a writing career if that's all i ever achieved 25 million page reads is incredible isn't it how many books is that if you say there's 250 and this is maths i'm doing live maths everybody so 25 million it's got six noughts at the end hasn't it if you say there's 250 pages to a book that's how many that's a hundred thousand that's responsible for a hundred thousand sales a hundred thousand paid sales if you assume my books are about 250 pages which is what they are now that's live maths i might have made a mess up there but I, that, I think that's about right isn't it by the sounds of it you can't knock that can you it's amazing so yeah kdp select huge difference for me and then as well as that of course writing in series and trilogies you've heard me say this again and again and again and again the first books i ever wrote the secret bunker was a trilogy the grid was a trilogy that i wrote don't tell meg that was a trilogy <laughs> there's a theme developing here trilogies have always worked well for me right right from the get-go right from day one i think probably the, the thing i did correctly was to write the secret bunker as a trilogy why did i write it as a trilogy well probably because I just read The Hunger Games and loved it. And what was the other one that was out at the time? The Hunger Games and, the, and Maze Runner was out. You've got a lot of dystopian trilogies. And, oh, the other one, Divergent. That was the one. Was it Divergent, Convergent, whatever it was called? Uh, that, that series as well. 
so I'd read all of those and that's kind of what had put me in the zone to write The Secret Bug. I was really enjoying YA at that time with a strong sci-fi element and so that's why I wrote as a trilogy because I'd enjoyed reading that format. I mean it was the first book I'd ever written for goodness sake. What on earth possessed me to write a trilogy but it was the right decision because similarly it helps the Secret Bunker tourist destination. I know they make more money from it because it's a trilogy. It's it's worked very well for me. And then when I learned how powerful trilogies were when you're selling on BookBub, so you give the first book of the trilogy away for free and then you make the money on books two and three of the trilogy, I put two and two together, made four, I hope I made four, and then wrote the Morecambe Bay series. Now again, I've told you this fairly recently that probably, possibly the mistake I made with the Morecambe Bay series was that I wrote that book of, that series of nine as three trilogies, and perhaps I should have started it as a trilogy and then written it as individual books. And that's what I'm now doing with my whole series. I've started as a trilogy because that sells so well at the beginning of a series. And then my plan, if I continue it, I might not continue that series. We'll see how well it does. But my plan then is to write standalone books. And I think, till I do it, I don't know, but I think that should bring the best of all worlds, <laughs> all that, you know, all that kind of eight years of experience of trying different things. I think that should bring in the best of all worlds, but but who knows? We'll find it out if and when we get that far. So yeah, writing in series and trilogies, move the needle. And then in terms of sales, creating and selling box sets also move the needle for me. So my page reads come from me selling box sets and if you look if you look at my Amazon author page now and if you look at my look particularly at thrillers because that's really where I've kind of moved a lot of books sold a lot of books got a lot of page reads if you look at the thrillers particularly what you'll notice is that the first book in the series so that's Don't Tell Meg and Left for Dead you'll notice that the reviews on those two first books are lower than anything else that I've got in those series and that's because I've had to give those away for free to to sell them on book bubs on, on any kind of promos and in turn and this is just my this is my theory this is what i think because they're free you get less discriminating readers people read it you probably shouldn't read it and so therefore that brings your reviews slightly lower and of course the more data i get the more sales i've made the more confident i've become in that assessment because if you look at my box sets my box sets score in terms of ratings much higher they score very much towards 4.5 so they're usually about 4.4 I think one of them might be 4.6 but box sets do really well and I sell I sell more box sets than I do individual books and to be honest with you that, that just reflects my marketing because I find it easier to market a box set now with Don't Tell Meg I will market book one for free and then make money on books two and three, or I will market the box set at 99p and that sells really well. With the Morecambe Bay series, I market Left for Dead, the first book in the series on its own for free and then make money on subsequent sales at full price, or I will market the box set for 99p or I have since I've got box sets two and three and I can make money on it, I have even at times, and I'm trying to think what the promo was, I would make the first box set free as well because I can make money on box sets two and three. So bo box sets, look at the reviews. They are responsible for me getting much better reviews. My average score goes right up on the box sets. 
and they're responsible for those huge numbers of page reads. I wouldn't have got that without without having the box set. And virtually, I'd be interested to know what it is actually, but I bet most of those page reads, let's see if I could do this quickly, those lifetime page reads. I reckon that, that by 12 pack will be responsible for most of those. So a 12 pack of my thrillers, I'm just trying to find it in the list of books I've got. Yeah, so sorry about that. I found the details. My 12 pack, my compilation of 12 thrillers is responsible for, wait for it, just short of 15 million page reads. 15 million page reads. Now, all of those books are available individually. They're available as box sets. But as a 12 pack, with the constant promotion that I've done, it's brought in 14, well, 14,799,596 page reads. That's the figure as of me recording this. So you can't knock that, can you? <laughs> box sets are brilliant and have been very brilliant for me. Now, of course, what it's done because I'm selling at bargain basement prices is it might have created a nice little positive blip for me but it's not the way long-term author careers are built I don't think you know I, what I'm trying to desperately do now this is my pain spot now is to pivot to something approximating that number of sales but at a higher price that's really what my pain spot if I gave you the reader's digest of where's my pain as an author right now eight years on my pain now is having caught a whiff of that lovely financial success and now trying to replicate that and make that go on over time, but selling books at a higher, fairer price to me as the author. They're a great price for the reader, as you can see by the volume we've shifted, but they're not a great price for me as the author. And they don't, that selling at that bargain basement price isn't really a sustainable author career. So, what I would say about those things that move the needle in my writing career is that overlapped those five things, if you do those five things together, that is my, well, I wrote a book about it. It was originally called the five figure fiction formula. If you want to know what my five figure fiction formula is in a nutshell, it's those five things that if you ask me for advice, and, and, I, and as you know, I'm much less willing to give advice these days because I don't want people hanging on to my every word. I'd rather give tips, I'd rather share experience. I don't want to be giving out advice. But if I gave advice, I'd say, get a piece of the action with those five things. I'm reasonably confident that other authors would, would sort of back me up with that as well. But those five things definitely worked and definitely moved the needle in my author career. At every stage, those things have helped to move the needle in my writing career. And what would I love to move the needle in my writing career? Well, I'd love Amazon ads to do that. That's what I would really like. I'd really like Amazon ads. I'd like to master Amazon ads. I am sure there is gold in them dar hills, but I haven't cracked it just yet. But when I've got these books out of the way, I'm coming back to it. It's parked at the moment, but I'm coming back to it when I can give it some proper time. Let's move on to list three then. Five things I don't intend to do in my writing career. Now, I, this is, I've got to remind you of this. I reserve the right to change my mind about everything in this list. Okay, so these are things I'm not going to do. I'm going to tell you why I'm not going to do them. This is the choice I've made. It doesn't mean that they won't work for you. And it doesn't mean that they don't work for other authors. But I'm just going to share this list with you and share my reasoning with these. And I'm going to tell you that I completely reserve the right to do a 360, no, 180 turn, isn't it? If I'm 360, I bet where I started. 180 degree turn 
and completely change my mind about these. But this is just where I am. They're topical talking points. This is just where I am at this moment in time. But I might change. So number one on that list, TikTok. Okay, now what I think you have to resist, and I, you know, I, I call myself an old geezer. I'm not an old geezer, of course I'm not. But but I think I think as you get older maybe you become more resistant to things and one of my missions in life as I go through my 50s and near my 60s is not to become resistant to things just for resistance's sake you know I want to I'm all over AI I'm playing with AI I was playing with it yesterday as I record this I want to be all over the new stuff and I want to make informed judgments about it I really don't want to get to a point in my life where I say oh no I'm not interested in that I'm not the slightest bit interested in whatever this new technology is. I want to keep my mind as open as possible. And I think this is one of the wonderful things, actually, about choosing being an author as a, as a, as a life path, in that it's one of the reasons why I want to keep doing it, is because it means that I'm constantly meeting younger people and, and, and being exposed to young people's, younger people's ideas. Uh, and if I keep my mind open, it's going to keep me fresh and, and engaged. Now, I've been to authors' conferences, and this is what this is why I love them. Where you've got you, you've literally got kids who are writing at authors' conferences, and you've got people who are in their eighties and nineties there, and, and that's what I love about it. It's so it's so inclusive of everybody. So it's a great environment to be in to keep your mind well and truly open and, and as I say as I get older I have to be aware of this and I have to make sure that my mind doesn't close so with TikTok my kind of immediate curmudgeonly response is to say you know it's just people dancing on social media that's that's my immediate response and I have to stop that I have to check myself with that and say don't do that that's how your mind becomes closed so I've signed up to TikTok I've got an account on TikTok. I've had a look at TikTok. I've immersed myself in learning. So I've listened to what James Blatcher said. I listened to the um, two ladies who were on stage at SPS Live last year. So I've made an informed decision about TikTok and decided that TikTok isn't for me. Now, why isn't TikTok for me? That's not me discounting TikTok. I mean, it's not me saying there's nothing in TikTok. I'm simply saying that TikTok is not the right platform for me. It will be a brilliant platform for many people. It might be a brilliant platform for you, but for me, it's not a, a, a brilliant platform. Now, why have I made that decision? Well, number one is I prefer to be audio first. I like to do podcasts. I don't really like to be on camera. I could have been on TV. I could have taken my career to TV. I don't like it. Don't like being on camera. I'm too self-conscious. I don't want to learn it. I like to be anonymous. You know, I can when you when you're audio first, you can yak yak yak. You can have a podcast that goes out all over the world and no one knows who you are. And that's how I like it. It's why I like being an author. I don't crave uh, notoriety. I don't crave people knowing who I am. I don't need the attention. I'm almost embarrassed by the attention. Um, you know, but I do. Obviously, I do want to sell the books. But I kind of am embarrassed at, at the attention. It's it's a really strange uh, combination. My dad always used to say to me on radio, "Well, you must be an exhibitionist if you go on the radio." But in actual fact, we'll find that most people who are on the radio are incredibly shy. Uh, it's actually uh, and, and the reason that I used to do discos is because it's a way of managing 
the social elements of those occasions where you've got more control over it. That's why I've always done it. So it's not it's not about being an exhibitionist. It's about controlling social environments more than anything. Uh, and so I would rather do audio first. I'm very self-conscious on camera. Uh, I, I love, I can do audio till the cows come home. I really enjoy that, but not, not for me. So TikTok's not for me. Um, it's not that it's not for everybody, but it's, it's not going to play to my strengths. And I would also say, you know, who wants to see a middle-aged guy on TikTok? I don't really have anything to say. If I had something to say, I would go for it. So James Blatch is an interesting example of this, same sort of age as me, but he talks about something very specialist, which is, um, military aircraft. And so therefore he's got a very strong niche for TikTok. That's a great niche. Now, I don't have a strong niche that I can talk in. So if I did, I think, you know, I'd be more inclined to look at TikTok. But because I haven't, because I would just have to be a generalist about my books, I'm I'm not going to go for it. Would I do TikTok? Yeah, of course I would. If, if I had a, say I had a book, a book uh, that fired a lot of interest in the book, yeah, I'd certainly reconsider it. But as a midway author with mediocre success, TikTok's at the moment, is not going to get my attention. Something else that people are talking a lot about is Kickstarter at the moment. And I've seen a lot of different authors use Kickstarter with a lot of success. Now, again, I'm not saying no to Kickstarter. I have signed up to a Kickstarter account. I've looked at a Kickstarter. I'm sure I've even started a listing on Kickstarter in the past. I was, I was looking at Kickstarter before Kickstarter was a big thing among indie authors, just because I'm interested in that sort of thing. So I, I've looked at Kickstarter, it's on my radar, but I do not believe, for the same reason as TikTok, I do not believe that the relationship I have with my readers, my audience, would sustain a Kickstarter. Nor do I have anything particularly in my genre that I think would benefit from me doing a Kickstarter. I think it would be, I'd be setting myself up for failure. Now I've seen authors at all sorts of different stages do some incredibly impressive things. And I won't tell you that I'm kind of not envious of, of not envious is not the word, but I'm in, I'm in awe of that success and look at it and think, do I want, would I like to try a bit of that action? But the, the simple truth of it is I don't have the confidence to do it. I don't think I've got a big enough audience and I don't have the confidence to do it. I think I would be, I feel like I would fail if I did a Kickstarter. So that's why I don't do a Kickstarter. So that's more me than Kickstarter. Now, something I have observed with Kickstarters, and this is, a, this is another reason why I don't do it, is it looks like an extraordinary amount of work. And when I, when I look at the work that I'm doing, I try and work out roughly what my what my hourly pay is it's just a it's just a rule of thumb in, in business because I, I i see people do kickstarters and i see them you make a lot of money very quickly but of course you've got design expenses and you've got delivery expenses you've got postage expenses and you've got your time and what i would like to hear a little bit more of with kickstarter is what the net profit is at the end of it. So, you know, roughly speaking, in terms of the amount of time you spent, the amount of stress you got from it, the amount of effort that it took, in terms of the money that ended up in your pocket, was it worth it? Or was it, I'm sure they're in profit, but was it more of a loss leader in terms of getting the sort of attention on Kickstarter? So I, I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the net, the net results 
of a Kickstarter because it seems to be an extraordinary amount of work to do you know a lot of hours to produce all these special editions and things like that but I mean you know of course I'd like a Kickstarter of course I'd love a successful Kickstarter but I don't have the vehicle for it and I don't have the confidence for it but Kickstarter remains well and truly on my radar and here's another thing that's well and truly on my radar I keep thinking about it I've investigated it I do all these things behind the scenes but I've decided to put this at the side at the moment and this is selling direct you're hearing a lot of people talking about selling direct at the moment so why don't I sell direct well for the same reasons I completely accept the concept of selling wide even though all my thrillers are exclusive to Amazon and even though I know that it makes much more sense to have your books wide across multiple platforms it gives you much more protection against Amazon changing the rules or Amazon blocking you from sales I, I know all the philosophy behind that it's the same with selling direct I completely understand endorse and get the philosophy of selling direct it puts you right at the center of your business it gives you control over your career I've no doubt at all that it's a great long-term move to make it's the cleverest thing to do but am I going to do it no not at the moment even though I accept all those principles I completely get it that I completely get why it's a brilliant thing to do why don't I do it well number one at this moment in time it's too much hassle for me number two I'm not making enough sales I don't I honestly don't think I'm making enough sales you know kind of paperback wise for it to be worth my while and the really thing the thing that means that I don't sell direct because I did I have sold direct I I did sort of selling direct light so I have sold direct through using book funnel and I think it's payhip isn't it yeah I have done that and I and I did sell some books through that but I hate as you know providing customer support the minute I get an email from somebody saying oh I can't load it on my Kindle or you know the payment didn't go through or whatever multitude of things that customers have problems with I don't want to know <laughs> I've got no sort of patience for it at all that is not my strong spot I do not like dealing with queries returns problems issues complaints all that sort of thing I've not got no time for it so again I would have to do this at such a scale that I would want somebody managing all of that for me and I have no doubt at the moment with my author career I'm not going to make enough money I'm not going to make enough money profit from from the site to even cover the costs of Shopify at the moment or all the add-ons you'd have to get so it's just not worth my while at the moment would I do it if I had a big enough audience if there was more money in the business to pay for somebody to do the returns and the customer service absolutely I, I absolutely get it but I'm not going to do it just now it's not right for me just now moving on to item four on that list then and that's reading to an audience reading my books to an audience this might include I don't know some kind of thriller event some crime event or it might involve going into a school giving a talk to the WI something like that or doing a library presentation I'm very happy to present and talk about self-publishing and the writing and being interviewed about it but one of the things that I would just I could not bring myself to do is to read extracts of my own book to an audience 
And that that is entirely born out of being too shy and too embarrassed to do it. Quite happy going on stage and you know talking about the process, talking about how I do it, uh, talking about the ideas. But I, I could not bring myself. I would find it too cringy to read my own book to an audience. And in actual fact, I don't even like being read to. So it's interesting that I I cannot consume enough nonfiction as audiobooks or podcasts. But I hate fiction being read to me. I really I hate the voices. I hate the acting. It just doesn't appeal to me at all. I recognise it's a complete skill. And I also recognise that lots of other people like it. But I don't. And, and I would not read my own books to an audience. There's, and there's, I don't even, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's a necessity if you're, if you're an author. But I couldn't do it. So if somebody said to me, oh, would you appear at this thriller event and would you read an extract from your book? I'd have to say no, because the way I read it would be rubbish. I'd kind of cringe at my own writing. Somebody else could read it. That would be fine if they want to, to voice it up or, you know, a narrator wants to do it. But I, I don't want to do it. I'd rather read it in my own head when I read it. And I, I just couldn't do it. But, you know, this is all to do with. And when I kind of come to the conclusion of this, um, self-confidence is probably my big Achilles heel in my writing career. Because although it seems like I've got the confidence to do a lot of things, I couldn't do that. I just, I wouldn't be able to do that. Isn't that funny? So yeah, reading my book to an audience, I couldn't do. Finally, on that list of five then, of things that I'm saying that uh, I'm not going to do or I don't intend to do, but never say never, dictation. You hear less about this nowadays, dictation. Fewer people mention dictation. I tried it. I bought Dragon, what was it, what was it Dragon Dictate, wherever the software was. Uh, I don't think it's even available now, but I bought Dragon Dictation. I've tried dictation on Google, what's it called? Google, uh, Google Docs. You can dictate it, and it's very good, actually. But it just doesn't suit the way that I think and the way that I compose a story. You've, you've heard how fast I can write my words when I am writing a story. I get into the zone. And the way that I write a story, the way I conceive of a story, my mind just doesn't work that way for dictation. Now, I've heard many people say, oh, I can't get on with dictation. And those who do get on with dictation are usually people who've pushed through the pain barrier. And they, they've had all the problems that the rest of us have had, but they put, they pursued it. But I'm very fortunate, and I touch wood when I say this, in that I've not developed any kind of um, aches and pains and problems as a result of, of typing as much as I've typed. I don't have any uh, limb discomfort, which I, I thank the lucky stars for, because I know that a lot of people do. And I'm sure that if I did have limb discomfort, that I would be driven to look at dictation again, once again, but it doesn't suit me. And it, it does actually get the words out okay. It did get the words out fast enough, but, and you'll know this if you listen to the podcast, the problem with dictation is it has loads of errors and you've then got to go back and correct the errors. That means more editing for me. And I don't like editing. So that was the bit that I hated most. It was quite amazing how quick the words go on the page. But you kind of got to go back and change it all anyway, which is a bit of a nuisance. Now, I know you could do that vocally. You could go back and correct it and give, well, you certainly could with Dragon Dictation. You could go back and say, change this, you know, for a full stop, not a comma or, or whatever it was you were doing. But it, it, I hate that kind of correction stage. So I make fewer errors if I write it and type it. And so therefore, dictation's not for me. Now, 
it is a brilliant tool for accessibility and for people who have limb discomfort and i would not hesitate to give it another try you know if, if any of those things uh, came into my life and i needed to, to do it but dictation at the moment is not for me so there you go five things and i reserve the right i'm going to say this again and again i reserve the right to do a 180 degree turn and change my mind about everything on that list that is just literally a line in the sand where we are in april 2023 and my reasoning and thoughts for why i'm not going to do those things at the moment moving on then to list four and this is five things i'd like to do in my writing career but i haven't done them yet so number one on that list is i would like to get traditionally published now this is entirely for vanity confidence and approval I make no bones about that. It's entirely a vanity metric. I want the approval of being traditionally published. And that's probably because I've had little skirmishes with traditional publishing. I mean, I in the early days, I, I spoke to some agents at the, was it the Festival of York? Found that fairly bruising, but of course I would. It was the early stages of my writing. I didn't know anything then. I'm not sure that I know much more now, but I didn't know anything then, that's for sure. So... I've I done the, the agent thing. I've sent things off to Joffa Books and Booker Chuff. Never really sort of pushed it, never really followed up on it. Just kind of closed my eyes and sent them off and hoped for the best and not heard anything. But yeah, I'd, I'd like that approval at least once. I'd like to know, I'd like that external validation that what I'm doing is okay. Because really I've only got my sales and my own, myself to say it and you know reviews and feedback and, and that hasn't been overwhelming enough to kind of satisfy that that vanity metric that self-confidence metric so yeah i very much would like to get something traditionally published does that mean i turn my back on self-publishing well not unless i was making a fortune i i would like the validation of being traditionally published at least once and then to see where it led i'm not close to traditional publishing at all I know the chances are you probably wouldn't make very much money from it. You, you might do. A lot of people do make some money from it. It's been very interesting to me hearing the conversations on um, Sophie Hanna's Dream Author Academy. Uh, she gets some amazing deals and some of the authors there have got some amazing deals. So it's been a great insight for me. But obviously not every author gets that. But some of these deals that take you into different countries, I mean, that that seems to be where the money is selling selling the rights on and on and on that seems to be very lucrative i you know of course i'm interested in that i'm also having i'm so world weary of having done so many books i wouldn't mind somebody taking a bit more of the strain as well to be honest with you it'd be lovely you know to have somebody telling you what to do for a bit <laughs> i wouldn't mind a little bit of that just for a little break you know rather than having to make all the decisions and do it all yourself it might be quite nice to work as part of a team and have a team producing a book but yeah absolutely i would like to be traditionally published i'd like to try i want to try everything i, I don't want to be closed-minded as i've said to you at the beginning from the outset i'd like to try it i'd like to see what it's like i might like it more than self-publishing so yes i would but self-publishing generally seems to be the right kind of choice for me but that doesn't mean never say never uh, traditional publishing for the right authors i'm sure works out extremely well it's difficult for me to imagine where i am right now thinking that that might happen to me but i'm certainly receptive i'm certainly open to it 
Another thing in my writing career that I would like very much but haven't done yet is, of course, you know, we would all love that TV or movie adaption. Yeah, of course I dream of it when I'm writing my books. Of course I visualise what I'm writing as TV or movie. I think of how amazing it would be to have your book turned into a TV or movie adaption. Of course it would. And I think that's a dream. You know, of course it's a pipe dream for most of us, but it's a dream that we should nurture, I think, because if it helps you... It helps visualise where we want to go with this. It helps visualise a moment in the future where we can kind of really enjoy the fruits of our success. And it might be a pipe dream, but who cares? I think it's a dream that's worth having. So continue to continue to pipe dream about your TV and movie adaption, and it might happen one of these days. And the, the thing I love about writing, because we keep the rights to our books and because I can write a book this year and people might be reading it in a hundred years time potentially this is the wonderful thing about books it's why i changed from internet marketing when i did things in internet marketing you'd have a big launch you'd make your money and then it was over it was dated the minute it was released almost it's like buying a new car you know it's old the minute you buy it kind of thing it, it depreciates whereas with a book well a book can gain momentum over time that's the great thing about it. So in 5, 10, 15 years time, somebody might find that book that you wrote all those years ago and they might want to turn it into a TV or movie adaption. So to me, that's a dream that's well worth keeping alive. Something else that I haven't done yet. Well, actually, as you heard in last week's update, I am doing it, but uh, audiobook versions, audiobook versions. Um, I, I've, I did do an audiobook version of The Secret Bunker years ago I paid for it outright. I rewrote The Secret Bunker because I, I learned things about writing and I worked with my editor to rewrite it and improved it. And so therefore the audio version was kind of obsolete as a result of that. So I took it off sale. And since then, really, I've just come to the conclusion that I need to be flogging a lot more books. I need to have a much bigger audience to really just justify the financial outlay of it. The only reason I don't do it is, is financial outlay. But would I have audiobook versions of all my books if I could? Yeah, I would. If I could afford it, if I thought I'd sell enough copies to make my money back or even break even on it. Yeah, I would. But I have no expectation that I could do that at the moment. I think it would be at a complete loss at the moment. And there's not enough. If I had money sloshing around in the business, then I absolutely would get audio books done. But I'm not at that stage at the moment. And so therefore, it's not a priority. Would I like it? Of course I would. I'd like every book I've ever written to be done as an audio book. But at the moment, I haven't done that yet. And it's the same with hardback versions. Would I like hardback versions of all my books? Yep, of course I would. I have considered and may well progress this year. It's on my list of, of bubbling unders. I might make a hardback version of, say something that sold well and, and it would probably have to be the first trilogy in the Morecambe Bay series because I think I could possibly say to the Winter Gardens in Morecambe which is one of the venues somebody dies at the Morecambe, in, in the Winter Gardens in Morecambe and it's a big sort of tourist destination much like the secret bunker is I've, I constantly think to myself I, I, if I made a little special edition there I'm sure they'd probably sell those quite nicely there and it's just something I haven't got round to yet it's something that requires effort I'm too busy writing and publishing and just doing the day-to-day -day stuff but would I like hardback versions yes I would I'd like to try that at some point but I, I haven't done it yet I would like to do it I'd like to try it with something that sells well um, that I've got sort of evidence that sells okay. I do it limited edition, but yeah, I'd like to do it. It's just not a priority at the moment. And then finally, 
things that I'd like to do but haven't done yet, I would like to get a book bub in all territories. So this is one of the expensive ones on one of my thriller box sets, please. Please, Bookbub, why do you keep knocking back my 12 pack and my nine pack of Morecambe Bay books? I'm sure that would fly off the shelves on an international Bookbub deal. You know, all, all, all outlets, all regions. Yet Bookbub will not let me have it. I've even, I even tried going, listing them wide for a while to see if that, that that would convince them to do it. They have not taken those books. Now, I don't know how BookBub decide which books they're going to take and which books they're not going to take, but I do not know why they haven't taken those thriller box sets because a 12-pack thriller with 3,500 or whatever it is reviews it's got in it now uh, must get huge page reads and huge sales uh, on, on a promo, yet they won't take it. So that's another thing that I want to do in my career, but haven't done yet. You'll know I'm going to be very happy if they ever take either my Morecambe Bay 9-pack or my 12-pack of thrillers. I will be a very happy chappy if they do that. Okay, we're on to the last list of five things now. And these are five things I ought to do, but don't, and therefore self-sabotage my career. <laughs> That's a bit harsh, isn't it? But it's true. These are things I need to give myself a good kick up the butt to do, but I don't. There's resistance there and I should do them. And you know what's at the top of that list, don't you? God, I'll give you just a moment to guess if you listen to the diaries. What's number one of that list of things I should be doing and I don't? You can probably put the first two things on that list, actually. Yeah, number one, right at the top there, MailerLite. I should email my list. And do I? No, I don't. I keep resisting it. I don't enjoy it. Don't want to do it, so don't do it. But should I do it? Of course I should. But I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm even frustrated myself telling you this. But I know that I should be building my list. I should be emailing my list. And I know that when I don't, I self-sabotage my own career. But I'm not doing it. I really hope that as I, when I get the covers for this new trilogy that I'm writing, I really hope that I, I, I've got to rouse myself and do something, even if it's only for a short period of time, because I, I'm four months into this year at the time of recording this. I said I wanted to do it as, as a, a job that I did every month this year. I haven't done it for four months. Well, I haven't done it for three months. It's still not too late for April, but I can tell you it's not getting done in April. The soonest we're going to get to, I think, is when will I have the book covers done? Maybe end of May or end of June. I mean, I have to do it then. I have to I have to release a series of at least monthly emails when the books are coming out or on pre-sale. But I've completely failed with MailerLite. I pay for it. I've got automations there. So at least the automations are there for new readers. But when they've gone through the automations, they go on a list and I don't email them. And that's a complete fail and self-sabotage in my career. The second self-tabotage, I'll just give you a moment or two to think about it. Now you know that MailerLite and email marketing is at the top. Yep, it's Amazon ads. It's it's learning how to do and analyze Amazon ads. That's the second self-sabotaging move that I've made on my career. Now I've got halfway there. I've made tiny progress by work, working through. I mean, I've even found the training for it, for goodness sake now. I've got Matthew's training for it. The uh, Amazon Ads Academy, is it called? I've even got great training for it. And I know it's good training, but I've gone 50% of the way through. I've done the bit that I find easy, which is the doing bit, the setting up bit. And I stalled at the analytics bit, the, the learning how to interpret it and to improve those adverts. So Amazon ads are the next big thing I need to master. If I'm going to move my career on in the way that I've told you that I want to move it on in, in this episode, I need to get to grips with Amazon ads. I'm going to have to bite that bullet 
at some point. Now, I know I've kicked the can down the road, just like I have with the email marketing. I have actually, on my schedule in quarter three, allocated time to do this work when I'm not writing, when I've, when I've got kind of more headspace for it. I really am going to make an effort to try and do that. But Amazon ads, I need to learn it. I need to stop self-sabotaging my career. And then here's something that I've identified, and it's come out loud and clear, really, in doing this presentation, this update for you. I need to have more self-confidence. Um, you know, my lack of self-confidence in my books and my ability self-sabotages my career. I constantly look at authors, you know, even their author photographs and things like that, and think, you know, I wish I... They always look so kind of confident, don't they? And, and and I don't feel like a writer. I think I never feel like a writer. What makes them feel like a writer? And after all these years, all these books, you know, all those sales, I still don't have the self-confidence. I don't have any self-confidence. I don't feel like, you know, in moments of breakthrough, I might recognise that a book's, I might read it back and think, that's all right, that, that was all right, that book. But I don't have any of that confidence. I don't release books you know, I'm, I can be dispassionate enough to think, well, that, you know, that book's okay. But I never feel any great success. I never feel any great confidence in anything that I do. I never really have done. And that self-sabotages my career and my success, I think. So I need to have more self-confidence. Now, I'm taking steps to, to try and improve that, to work on that. That's why I joined the Dream Author Academy. I haven't had time to, to delve into all the really good stuff that Sophie does in there. That's why I've scheduled time for it over the summer when I've stopped writing these books. And those of you who listen very carefully to the, this podcast will know that I like a guy called Robin Sharma when it comes to mindset issues and, and things like that. I really like listening to Robin Sharma. I've also bought a Robin Sharma course. So I really do intend to do some work on kind of self-confidence and mindset over over the summer period where I've scheduled these sessions for kind of self-improvement, learning and personal development. But yeah, you know, I have to admit it. I think that lack of self-confidence probably just hold me back. If I could be a little bit more cocky about things, uh, as far as my writing is concerned, I'm sure it would help me a lot. But um, if, if you experience the same thing, you'll know that it's a hard thing to do. So what else would I like to do? Well, things I ought to do that self-sabotage my career. This podcast, I've said it countless times I've said it over the years what I really should do with this podcast I've got all the skills I've got all the experience to do it but I don't I should edit and produce this podcast better I should take more time on it I should edit it maybe have a few more jingles in there I should produce it get more guests on just do more with it but I don't and I never have done I don't think the books would get written if I did and I don't probably take my maybe I'm not hungry enough to do it but I, you know, if I did that work, the, the podcast would reach more people. It has a steady sort of word of mouth element. I think people who discover it, you know, either like it or hate it. Those who like it seem to stay with it for a long time. I've got, I've had a wonderful sort of relationship with my audience. I meet you at, and email you and, you know, we talk. It's great. A, a lovely relationship through this podcast. But I could have built it probably into something much better, something that would have made much more of an impact on the self-publishing industry that probably goes right back to the thing I've just told you self-confidence a lot of that but also it does go back to technical matters that if I sat here and and spent the time that I ought to spend the time 
editing this thing and tidying it up and just making it much more professional uh then i think it would have done probably much better but instead you get these uh weekly uh, these weekly ramblings which i hope you extract some uh juicy goodness from but yeah i think probably the you know the podcast was a was a i say it was a missed opportunity nothing's forever i can change that at any point that that could change at any point of course so it doesn't mean that i can't do it and can never do it it means that i just haven't done it to date and then the, the last thing that I'm doing that self-sabotaging my career, not beating myself up about these things, by the way, but I do think you need to be honest with yourself. You do need to do an audit of what you're up to and you need to be honest with yourself and identify your areas of weakness and potential for self-improvement. That, that's all this is. Uh, you know, I, re I recognize the work I'm not doing and the things I need to do better. And I need to, I need to learn to sell my books at a decent price rather than at bargain basement prices now don't get me wrong selling at bargain basement prices created a sixteen thousand pound month for me you know i've I, I earned more in that covid year um gross than i ever earned in a single year in my broadcasting career you know so i i have made i have made some author achievements that mean that all this writing is not a waste of time and i recognize that but i'm not where i want to be and i don't have anything near what you would call a sustainable author career i got to be working on it all the time for it to work and i think the next step of that is getting out of bargain basement pile them high kind of promos they are part of it of course but i need to try and transition to selling at a a, a decent cover price and making more profit on each unit that i sell and again that goes back to that confidence and i think you know in terms of the challenges most of those things come back to self-belief self-confidence whatever you want to call it so there you go five lists of five things in my author career the things that work the things that didn't the things that i need to work on the things that i've parked for now hopefully that's been interesting and useful for you may have spotted some things in there that resonate with you and just to repeat once again I completely reserve the right to change my mind about everything all 25 things that i've discussed with you today i reserve the right to change my mind on all those things okay that's it i hope you enjoyed this week's special edition podcast i will be back with my regular podcast diary updates next week until then i hope you have a great week of writing bye-bye for now